Would you open God's precious holy word? We'll be in back and forth from 2 Chronicles 8 to 1 Kings 9. So let's get right into it. First, as, as the story of Solomon continues, three things dominate the era of his reign as king. Uh, of course, number one is worship. As he gets his beginning and then moves into the early and middle years of his reign as king of Israel, a great emphasis is placed on the worship of Yahweh as he is called of the Lord to be the builder of the temple in the land of God's people. And we have seen that he has become a very effective worship leader. His, of course, his father, David, was a very effective worship leader and wrote the songs that they would sing with the inauguration of and the beginning of the worship in uh, the temple, those very psalms would continue on through time. So Solomon picks up on that and he, of course, he offered this inspired dedicatory prayer. So now we're going to go into his reign for the next 20 years after these things begin to happen. So we're beginning in 2 Chronicles chapter 8. It came to pass at the end of 20 years uh, that Solomon had built the house of Yahweh and his palace. So we're 20 years into the reign of Solomon. The cities that Huram had given to Solomon, Solomon built them and settled Israelites there. And Solomon went to Hamat of Zobah and he besieged it. Now this is the only record of Solomon going to war. Only record. And the reason, if you research it, you will find that this is an area, this is a place, this is a, a region, a city where David had conquered both the land and the people. And the land, because of David's battle, uh, the land belonged to Israel. They had rebelled. And so Solomon went to retake it. He goes back to retake what his father had taken. But this is the only record of uh, Solomon's going to war. Because as you see here, he's, he's a builder. He strengthens the infrastructure of the nation and the culture uh, and the wealth of the nation and the people uh, themselves. And he built Tadmor in the desert and all the store cities that he built in Hamat. Here's what is happening during this time. Not being required as David was to expand, to secure the boundaries, the borders, and to fight off the people, the nations who were the enemies of the people of God and to get them out of Israel and to secure the nation. 
Not having to do that now that because David had left such a strong uh, military and such a strong presence in Israel that the enemies were defeated or afraid to attack Israel. Therefore, the military forces were placed in uh, fortresses and in, 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 in cities uh, that were made for sentinel cities and they would be in strategic areas so that the military could be called upon quickly if needed. And also they would, they would be cities that would be treasure cities. Solomon is building the infrastructure and the economy of the nation making it a very, very strong nation. You have to understand, and I think you can remember with me, if we go back two generations, and we're back in Samuel, before David became king, these were just nomadic sheep herders, the Israelites. They had no power. Uh, they, they were afraid of their enemies. They were not a coherent nation. Saul did what he did to initiate the, uh, the cementing of the people and hopefully the strengthening of the boundaries and to begin to engage the enemies of the people of God. But it was David who finally and absolutely secured the land uh, as, the, as the warrior king that he was. So if you, if you go, it's just been two generations. It's the miracle of God. How God gave to David the personal resources and uh, spiritual strength and guidance to go to battle. He was the man of war. Remember, that's what Yahweh said. He was the man of war and he didn't lose battles and, and he didn't take anything off of anybody. And he took, he took the covenant of the land seriously. And so he, he secured much of the land and made it strong. And it, and it was getting its start as a strong nation under David. That's one generation. Now, the next generation is Solomon. Of course, here we're 20 years into the reign of Solomon. And Solomon's reign is seen as one where he builds strong alliances through trading. His diplomacy came about uh, through trading. And Solomon always got the better end of the deal, uh, as we'll see going through what we're going to look at tonight as just an example so Solomon in his wisdom is, is gifted and resourced by God personally to build Israel. It's already a, a military power. David made it that. Now it is becoming an economic power. My guess is when you read how it's described in the chapter, the chapters in Chronicles and Kings that we look at tonight and what immediately follows you, you understand that uh, this quite possibly is the most dynamic economy in the world in that day. 
Uh, and it just keeps expanding under the reign of Solomon. And here is, is proof of that. He built Tadmor in the, in the desert and all the store cities that he built in Hamat. He built the upper Bet Haron, Haron and the lower Bet Haron, fortified cities with walls, gates, and bars, and Baalat, uh, and all the store cities that Solomon had, and all the cities for his chariots, the cities for his horsemen, and all of Solomon's desire, which he desired to build in Jerusalem and in Lebanon and in all of the land of Israel. In other words, whatever, whatever he wanted to build, he built it because he is expanding the reach of Israel. As he expands it, he also fortifies it so that it's not threatened. It's not threatened militarily and it's not threatened economically uh, either. So whatever he desired to do, well, he has obviously, he has in his mind the purpose and the plan uh, to move outward and to strengthen within the nation of Israel. So what he, what he wanted to do, he did. Now here's the parallel to that in 1 Kings chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. And it was at the end of 20 years during which Solomon had built the two houses, the temple of Yahweh and the king's house, Hiram, the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar wood, with cypress wood, and with gold. So according to all of his wishes, then King Solomon gave Hiram in return 20 cities in the land of Galilee. And Hiram left Tyre to see the cities that Solomon had given him, and they, <laughs> they did not please him. And he said, what are these cities that you've given to me, my brother? And he called them the land of Kabul, which they are called to this day. Now, there's a, there's a little bit of debate over the meaning of the Hebrew word Kabul. But the great majority of scholars agree that what the word means, and it comes from its, its cousin word out of Arabic, and it means useless or worthless. So when you put both of these uh, together, you will get the idea that Solomon gave Haram these 20 cities that were border cities. He, Solomon wouldn't have had the authority to give away holy land cities, the promised land cities. Those, those belonged to tribes and to families within the tribes. But these cities were available for Solomon who also ruled a little bit beyond his, the promised land boundaries in, in a certain direction uh, to, give, to give these cities away. And Haram called them useless or worthless. And here's it, what it says is, uh, it says that he didn't want them. Let me go back. And they did not please him. So he said, you've, you've given me, you've, you've given me worthless uh, cities. These, these cities. Now, here is what's generally believed about that. What's Solomon trying to do here? Well, of course, <laughs> Solomon would, Solomon was in the game 
to make a profit. He, it, you know, it wasn't his style to break even or certainly not to lose money. When you have an hour and a half sometime, I'll tell you some stories about my daddy who was the same way. Now, Solomon as a gesture gives, but I, I'm not sure that Solomon would have understood that these would have been worthless. But Hiram, his nation, they, they, were, they were merchants. Their, their work was to be involved in trade, in trading. Um, and they were business people. And to a lesser degree, they were also uh, agrarian people. They would grow crops and so forth, certain kinds of special crops so that they could trade with them. And apparently, these cities were not on a major trade route nor was the land involved with the cities uh, sufficient for planting uh, uh, farmland, for farmland, for planting crops. It was just desert land and it was out of the way. So Hiram says, you know, what he's saying is this is going to be a bad investment for me to take over land that I'm going to have to put more money in that I'll ever get out because this land is useless. He called it Kabul, useless. And Hiram sent to the king 120 talents of gold. <laughs> you got to see here. Okay. I don't like what you've given me. So I'm going to give you $5 billion worth of gold. You know, that's about what it looks like. Uh, Solomon is trading with Hiram for wood and cedar wood, we saw it earlier, and gold, the best gold, the gold of Ophir. It's, 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 what their, it's what their agreement is. This is what they're doing. So the trade went in Solomon's favor by a great deal here. Hadam still sends the 120 talents. And this is the matter of the tax levy, which King Solomon raised to build the temple of Yahweh and his own house and the Melo. The Melo is a section of Jerusalem and the wall of Jerusalem and Hazor and Megiddo and Gezer. Solomon, you've heard the old saying, it takes money to make money. Solomon had all the money. So everything really was in Solomon's favor and he would know it anytime he sits down at the bargaining table with some other king and he's working on a deal in his alliance. Well, that's what happens with, with uh, Hiram here as, as well. So taxes are being raised as we saw earlier in this study when Solomon became king, special taxes and these taxes would be used to uh, support Solomon in his trading efforts. And he always came out on top. So he, he comes out here with uh, 120 talents of gold. And when you put this and Second Chronicles together, what you see is Hiram just said, well, you know, thank you for the gesture, but I really can't use this. And then Solomon goes in and refurbishes and rebuilds the, these cities. 
Uh, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and conquered Gezer and burnt it with fire and slayed the Canaanites who inhabited the city. And he gave it as a gift to his daughter, Solomon's wife. And Solomon built Gezer and the lower Beth Haron and Baalat and Tadmor in the desert in the land and all the store cities that Solomon had and the cities of his chariots, cities of his riders, uh, Solomon's desire that he desired to build in Jerusalem and Lebanon and all uh, and, and in all the land of his sovereignty. So this is the account of first Kings, what we saw back in second Chronicles, what Solomon desired. Now remember the Lord had granted him insight, discernment, and wisdom. So Solomon can look at a situation and he can know how to make the situation work to his advantage and to the advantage of Israel. And all of this continues to expand uh, the economy of Israel and continues to, to build the personal wealth of Israelites. And he makes sure that everything is in favor of Israel and he's never interested in doing anything that is not in favor of Israel. So at this point, he's a with that regard, he's a, a good king. He's a king uh, who looks after his people. The next thing that we see here is that he subjugates his enemies. Uh, absolutely. We got back to Second Chronicles chapter 8. All the people remaining from the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, uh, the Hivites, and Jebusites who were not of Israel. If I have a study Bible, I underline that last phrase. Who were not of Israel. Of their children who remained after them in the land, whom the sons of Israel had not annihilated, Solomon subjected them to forced labor until this day. So here's the deal. Even those people who were not Israelites that didn't have the protection of the law of Moses as Israelites had, unless you became uh, a proselyte of the gate, which that doesn't say they did. You may recall back in the time of Joshua when we studied that, that there were certain Canaanites and it, it's not to say that God was pleased that Joshua did this, but there were certain Canaanites who said, please let us stay and we will work for you. We will, we will be your laborers. Just don't make us leave because the increasing prosperity of Israel would even have a positive effect on these laborers who were allowed to stay. So they had certain advantages for themselves that they would not have had had they been forced out of the land. So he subjected them to forced labor. But the sons of Israel, Solomon did not make into slaves for his work because they were men of war and the officers over his commanders and officers of his chariots and his horsemen. And these are the officers over King Solomon's appointed men, 250 who ruled the people. All right, now remember, he's building these cities. These cities will be forts or fortresses, and they will be important to the overall economy and protection of Israel. And there has to be a group of men who would be appointed who were able uh, and had the capacity, personal ability, 
to, to oversee these things. And these are the, he would use Israelites on that and they would become his appointed officers and, and commanders uh, for special work. And you'll see that uh, if Solomon, now they didn't have chariots until Solomon. Solomon, this is something that apparently he added to the army and, and a cavalry as well. So this apparently is, a, is an expansion of the military capability of Israel. And he needs people to oversee that part as well. So he is careful to use his own people. There's some, in other words, for, for Israelites, there is something for everybody to do. And it has importance and it, it carries with it its own economic benefits. Now, here's how 1 Kings 9 uh, describes that. All the remaining people of the Amorites, Hitt, uh, uh, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, who were not of the sons of Israel, even their children who remained after them in the land whom the sons of Israel were unable to annihilate, of them did Solomon raise a levy of forced labor until this day. But of the sons of Israel, Solomon made no levy of forced labor because they were warriors, his servants, his officers, commanders, officers of his chariots, his horsemen. These were the commanders over the officers who were appointed over Solomon's work. 550 who ruled over the people who engaged in the work. All right, so he has this growing infrastructure. New cities have to be built. There have to be roads, roadways built between these cities. There has to be an upkeep to those very important trade routes. Perhaps even new trade routes could be opened. It was a time, I guess if you want to look at this, it was a time of, of zero unemployment for Israelites. And the work that they did was the work that was the most important. The forced laborers, on the other hand, who were simply allowed to stay in the land were the ones who did the labor that was important, but it was not the, it was not the upper level of, uh, of, of work that Solomon saved for his own people. So here's what that means. That means that the income level and uh, the quality of life, all of that just begins to raise and get higher for the Israelites. And Solomon did it to look after his people. He was not that concerned with those who were not his people other, of course, than to make sure they were treated according to the law as the law gave regulations about this. They weren't necessarily treated, uh, treated cruelly. They just didn't receive any special treatment. All of that is reserved for Israelites. Now, during this time, these 20 years as he goes to this time, Solomon shows himself to be very uh, religious in 2 Chronicles 8. Pharaoh's daughter Solomon brought up uh, from the city of David to the house that he had built for her because he said, no wife of mine shall dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because they, that is these places, are holy since the ark of Yahweh came into them. Okay, she is not an Israelite, number one. 
And number two, as a woman, there's certain things that she can't do. So he takes care of her, but he puts her in a place where she is not endangered because if she had wandered into the wrong place or had um, just had done the wrong thing ignorantly, it could break the law of Moses and it could, even though she was the king's wife, it could be such that the people would stone her to death. She'd be killed. So he he made sure that she was separated from that. And this shows a keen awareness on Solomon's part uh, to be as good of an Israelite as he can possibly be. Then Solomon offered up burnt offerings on the altar of Yahweh, which he had built before the vestibule. And as the duty of every day required to offer up according to the commandment of Moses for the Sabbaths, for the new years, uh, new moons, and for the appointed seasons three times a year on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and on the Feast of Tabernacles. And he stationed, according to the ordinance of his father David, the divisions of the priests on their service and the Levites on their watches. You may remember before David died, he made sure that uh, the priesthood was carefully divided into their watches and into their work, even to the point of, of uh, the Levites who would, who would serve as musicians. To praise and to serve opposite the priests for the daily requirement on its day and the gate sentries in their divisions for every gate. For so was the command of David, the man of God, the man of Elohim. So he honored what his father had established as, as the rule and policy for the Levites. And they did not deviate from the king's command to the priests and the Levites regarding every matter and for the treasuries. And all Solomon's work was established until this day from the founding of the house of Yahweh until its completion when the house of Yahweh uh, was complete. Now we go to 1 Kings, it's supposed to be 24 and 25, chapter 9. This is, this is the account of 1 Kings. But Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built for her. Then he built the Milo, a, a special section of, of Jerusalem. And three times in a year did Solomon offer up burnt offerings and peace offerings upon the altar uh, he had built to Yahweh, burning upon it incense upon the altar that was before Yahweh. So he completed the service of the temple. Now, when Solomon establishes his routine, and uh, of course, all of the people would have seen this and would have known, Solomon has shown the appropriate and proper um, uh, protocol of worship for the people. And he, le- he leads that himself. And that's why it says this completes the service of the temple. So now the people have a routine uh, that would be pleasing to Yahweh. And now we, we close this part out here with reflecting on the economic operations of uh, Solomon. Back to Second Chronicles 8. Then Solomon went to Ezion Geber to Elot on the seashore in the land of Edom. And Haram sent him through his servants, ships and servants who had knowledge of the sea. And they came with Solomon's servants to Ophir and they took from there 450 talents of gold and brought it to King Solomon. Now remember this, part of the trade agreement between Solomon and Hiram or Huram 
is that Huram provides the best of gold for Solomon to use. And Solomon in, in trade gives other goods and services. But part of the deal here is that he has provided ships. Now these people up in Tyre and all, they were, they were seafaring people as well. And they were sea merchants. They would, they would take their, their goods um, by sea up farther than what people could by land. So they had expanded a trade route. Solomon is going to get into that business as well. So here, Huram, the builder, the craftsman, provides ships and he provides sailors who know how to sail the sea. This, at this point in time, this would not have been a strong point of the Israelites. And part of the deal is that uh, he, gets, he begins to build with the help of Haram, who already has this going in his nation. He begins to build his own uh, merchant, merchant marine or merchant navy. Now here's, what, here's how 1 Kings 9 describes it. King Solomon made a fleet of ships in Etzion Geber, which is beside Elot on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. And Haram sent in ships, his servants, seafarers, those navigators of the sea with Solomon's servants. And they came to Ophir and obtained there gold, 420 talents, and delivered it to King Solomon. So we'll stop here uh, tonight. But it shows how active Solomon is in expanding and reaching uh, into the immediate area of his world, of his region, his part of the world, expanding the economy, which the economy would feed back into the nation, which would in turn would strengthen that part of uh, the, the nation that Solomon wanted to strengthen. Those outlying cities, for example, the merchant fleet that he wants to build which in turn is going to increase his economic reach even further and to a, a greater way. Uh, so we'll stop it there and next time we'll continue to reflect on how Solomon is strengthening and growing uh, the national resolve and the strength and the power of Israel in his day. We'll have our deacon prayer time.